continuing through 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter's told us about the finished work of Christ. He's told us of the people that God chose, those that God saves, those that God brings to Him in Christ. Making the point through all of this that everything we have which is good, everything which is perfect, the Gospel, the Kingdom, and our hope in heaven above and our faith in Christ is in Christ. And that God has finished finished the work the Father gave Him to do. He talked about temptations and trials we face in the world and the salvation that would come. This all leads up to preaching the Gospel, the salvation which the prophets of old prophesied which should come unto you in the Kingdom of God. And Peter tells us about the sufferings of the Christ. One of my favorite verses of Scripture, and I'd have to look it up right now to tell you where it's at. But they gave Him as He was upon the cross. This is the Christ of God, the man, Jesus Christ. Wine mingled with myrrh, which is a narcotic. It was given to condemned men who were crucified to dull the pain. And He received it not. It was mandatory. It was necessary. It was the will of God that the Christ of God, the man, Jesus Christ, would suffer greatly every suffering which was rightly ours. And that's the Gospel that we preach. That's the Gospel that's been delivered to us by the Spirit of God in Christ. That Christ loved us and died for us and raised us up for in His resurrection. And we have a knowledge of heaven and immortal glory that is our hope to be there. And we have faith, a fruit of the Spirit, that He did finish the work the Father gave Him to do, and that salvation is final. It cannot be taken away. And then He said, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. That means somber-minded. That means we are to walk in this world wary. When a soldier walks through the land of the enemy, he is very careful. Now, I've never been a soldier in that aspect, but common sense would teach you, and some of the training that I've been through would teach you that a soldier must be very cautious. He must be fearless in one aspect, knowing that God will bless him and and protect him, but he must be wise. He must watch his step where he goes. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober-minded. As we walk in the world with the darkness around us and those who would devour us because Satan would devour us, and all you've got to do is put on a TV channel, news or something off the computer, the modern day newspaper, and it's quite evident how much God's people are hated 
and how much those of the world seek to hurt them. Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. To back up a few verses, the sufferings of this present time that God brings us through, walk through them soberly, ever looking unto Christ. Because the day will come when this world will be no more. It's just a short time in the realm comparing it to eternity, which is from everlasting to everlasting, as is God. It's just a moment. Our afflictions. And Christ will take us home. We're to be obedient children because Christ did suffer for us. He does love us. He has always loved us and will always love us. I talk a lot about things I did not do when I was a child because I loved my daddy and I didn't want to embarrass him or hurt his feelings. There's a lot of things I did that probably did embarrass him and hurt his feelings, but down inside a child, you have a desire to please your parent. And I've said this before, and I'll just lay it out again now to make sense with it if God will bless me. You have no choice who your parents are, but when you're born from your mother, you realize she is your mother. When your father, when it's made known unto you that your father is your father, that he loves you, that he provides for you, that he protects you, that then you begin to love him also. When that revelation, when that manifestation comes to a child, that's the same way with God. We had no choice of being born of God, but when God reveals unto us through His Son, Jesus Christ, that He does love us, and all the things the Gospel teaches us, from everlasting to everlasting, the love of God, then we begin to love God. And we have a desire within us to be obedient, to walk in a way which is pleasing to our Father in heaven. And then He tells us to... But as He which hath called you, this is God calling us in Christ by the irresistible call of the Spirit. Okay? It cannot be resisted. You cannot... What did they used to say on Star Trek? Linda loved that show. Resistance is futile. You cannot get away from the call of God. You may fight it. You may not want it in your nature, but when God quickens you, You're a child of God. You have no choice of that. You have the possession of eternal life in your heart. And the more we obey God, the more that eternal life is manifested to us. And by obey, I mean being separate from the world, which is what he's about to talk about, and walking in the gospel manner as is given us in Scripture. He said, be ye holy. He said, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's go back to the law of God uh, that God gave to Moses to a what? A stiff neck and a rebellious people. Knowing the family that I came from called Winslet, I know we're all stiff necked. I know we're all rebellious. It gives me hope when I see this in Scripture that God loves sinners, that Christ came in the world to save sinners. And that He calls sinful men to repentance because I know without a doubt I am a sinner and I am stiff-necked and I am rebellious by my very nature and my inheritance. But look what God is telling them after He delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. I'll start in verse 44 and read a few. For I am the Lord your God, 
ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves. Leviticus 11 and 44. This is in the law. Ye shall sanctify yourselves. A man in his nature of Adam cannot sanctify himself. He does not want to sanctify himself. He's quite pleased with his natural sin and death and the things of the world that the flesh enjoys and desires. I say that to make the point. They were told in the law to sanctify themselves. They could not do that. It is impossible. Only Christ can do that and God through Christ. The only way, now you watch this and listen and think, the only way that the children of Israel or any other child of God sanctified themselves was in the work they did when they delivered up the very Son of God to be crucified. Okay? That was when Christ died for us. We cannot sanctify ourselves, but yet God commanded them to. And ye shall be holy. The word means separate. They were to be separated from the other people of the world. We are to be separated from the other people of the world. We're born of God. We're brethren. Christ is our elder brother. As we seek to please our Father of nature of flesh we seek to please our father in heaven we are to be sanctified we're to be holy separate from the world for i says god am holy neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth he's giving them the instruction and the fact of separating Clean from filthy. Clean from unclean. I think it was Benjamin that mentioned when he was here the leper. That's one of my favorite texts of those 11 lepers that were cleansed and only one came back. The remnant. Only one came back to glorify God. But the old leper had to stand outside the camp and cry unclean, unclean, unclean. I've told you several times about Christ hanging between two men. He separated the one on the right from the one on the left. He separated those who are clean in God's eyes from those who are not clean in God's eyes. He separated the elect of God from those of the world. He said, you shall not defile yourself with anything that creepeth upon the earth. This was dealing with food. I'm glad we're not under the law. I love catfish. I love ham. The Jew couldn't eat that. But my point is in what he is teaching them and would be revealed when the time came that grace would be manifest, that God would separate His people, the clean, from the unclean. And that His people or to be sanctified and set aside. He sanctified them. He set them aside. He made them holy from the world. He's manifesting His right 
to separate the clean from the unclean. And he said in verse 45, we'll go back to the text, for I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You want to know why you're created? That God will be your God. You want to know why Christ died for you? Why God chose you? Why He gave you to the Son? That He would be your God. That you would be His people that you would dwell with Him and worship with Him in heaven and immortal glory, worshiping not with Him, but worshiping Him. Forgive my slip of my tongue. I am flesh. To worship God in eternity. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Now let's go back to the text. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. There you see it, Leviticus 11. And if you call on the Father, what is He saying? If you are among the elect of God. If God chose you. If Christ died for you. No one else can call on the Father if you are among the elect of God. If God, Christ, has quickened you, if Christ has been revealed to you, whether in a gospel way or not, because people that never go to church or hear the gospel or even carried away in some form of heresy, pray to God in Christ. They're deceived, yes, I'm sure we are in ways too. But if you call on the Father, if you are a born again child of God standing in the election of grace, if you're going to stand in heaven and immortal glory with Christ above, then you, it's call on the Father. If you love God, if you pray to God, if you seek after God, if you desire God's help, it's evidence that you are a child of God. And if you call on the Father, which we do daily, we have prayer requests before church. Everybody knows someone in need of prayer. Everybody knows someone that are afflicted more than us. And that ought to cause us to rejoice and in my case, stand in shame for complaining the way I do because God is so good to me. If you call on the Father, if you pray to the Father, who, here comes the text, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work. That's one of the greatest misread, misunderstood Scriptures that men corrupt. For God is not a respecter of persons. Let me give you a fact. Turn to Genesis 4. You can begin in verse 3 and go down to verse 5 to prove my point. 
And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord, catch this, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. But you say God is not a respect for persons. We're going to clarify that. We're going to explain that text. Deuteronomy 32, regarding Cain and Abel, Remember the days of old. Consider this is verse seven of Deuteronomy thirty-two. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee, and thy elders, and they will tell thee. Here's my point: When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when He separated the sons of Adam. He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. My point with that is take it in context. God is a respecter of persons in the sense that those who stand in the election of grace stand in the unmerited favor and love of God God has respect unto them. He was he loved them from eternity. He set his love upon them from eternity. Christ died for them and raises them up daily, giving them life, quickening them and will raise them all up to the last day and they shall he- inherit heaven and immortal glory. God is a respecter of persons and the natural man He has no respect for. But now to keep this in the context of Scripture, and if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, okay? When you stand at the last day on the judgment in awe of God, when the Son of Man appears in His glory, when He turns to you and says, Inherit, come you blessed of My Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. You are judged of God in Christ. Acts 17, He says, He shall judge the world by that man whom He hath ordained. That is Christ. You stand in the work of Christ. Those that are without will perish. They inherit the everlasting lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The point being, this text is not speaking of eternity. Revelation 20, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life shall stand with Him in glory. Okay? So this cannot be talking about a child of God 
suffering, and eternity. If anything has a condition, if anything has an if, if you don't do this or if you do this, it is not speaking of eternity. It is speaking of temporal salvation in this world. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear. He's telling us that every sin has a recompense, that everything that we do in this world that is sin, God will judge. I've heard it said all my life, a child of God is judged of the Father in this world of time because there's no way we can suffer in eternity in that perfect world with Christ. God is no respecter of persons according to our works as we live in this world. If a child of God walks in sin and rebellion in this world just like the natural man and wickedness, God will judge that child of God just as He judges those that are of nature. Because every sin... Catch that. Every sin, every sin of commission, every sin of omission, and I know I mispronounced that, but I did to make a point. Commission or omission. Every sin of neglect, every sinful thought from our sinful hearts of nature has a recompense. People say, why are men so miserable in the world? When they... People of the world are saying you need self-esteem. You need to build yourself up. No, what we need is revelation of Christ by the Holy Spirit when God gives it. And we need to esteem Him who loved and died for us and know for a very fact that we're sinners and we have no hope in this world of eternal glory or any peace here without the work of Christ. Pass the time of your sojourning. We are not... We were born of our mother and our father. The earth, earthy, 1 Corinthians 15 says, Adam was of the earth, earthy. How can man, a worm, Job said, be just with God? We're of the world. Our first birth is of the world. Our nature is of the world. But when we're born of the Spirit of God, we're no longer of this world. We are... Adopted, we're born of the Spirit, birth, making us a child of God, and we're adopted into the family of God from the nature of Adam to the nature of Christ. You bear in mind, an adoption by law is final. It cannot be undone. And we are adopted into the family of God in Christ. We're sojourning here. The point, our home is not here. We are pilgrims 
and strangers in a hostile, distant land. We're here but for a moment. Abel, a vapor. One moment it's here, one moment it's gone. Our home is in heaven above. But child of God, while we live here, passing the time of our sojourning here is to be in fear. The devils believe in God and tremble. The ones in legion when Christ came up, Thou Son of David, art Thou come to torment us before the time? They know there is a God and they know their day is coming and they tremble. They fear. The natural man may claim not to have any fear of God or no belief in God. And I tell you what, you go back to 9-11-2001 when those twin towers were burning like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and you saw many people who professed not God talking and crying out, may God help us. That's a fear of the natural man and a fear of, of the wicked, of the coming judgment of God. That is not how a child of God is to fear God. One of my favorite thoughts, one of my favorite words is that we stand in awe of God. I was so thankful. I believe Ben touched on that when he was here at our meeting that Saturday. Enjoyed both services. To stand in awe when the Son of Man shall appear in His glory. When the children of God are placed at the right hand of the Majesty on high, and they see Him in His glory, the Creator of heaven and earth, the spoken living Word which God spoke, when all things were made by Him, and without Him there was not anything made that was made. And they see the great terror of His righteous glory, awful, fearful, and they stand in awe because of the grace and the love of this Son of God who suffered. He just told us about the sufferings of Christ who suffered for us. A child of God stands in awe of God. When you come here, I've done it many times as a child and in adulthood. When you've come here, I remember when I came back to church after I started government work, working on weekends, and Linda and I got up one morning and came down here, and I believe Brother Estes was preaching, and tears filled my soul in the awe of God, that this great, loving, merciful God loved me. And I don't have the right to approach unto Him, but yet He loved me. There's a fear of God 
that a child of God has, which is a reverential fear. This God who has power over all things loves me. That's how we fear the Lord. Pass the time of your sojourning here in this world in the fear of the Lord. used to be said when I was a boy, well, that man's a God-fearing man. What's that mean? That means he knows the Lord. That means the Lord's revealed Himself to him. That means he has a fear of God. So he walks different than other people in the world. God has begun a work in him which will carry him to glory with Christ. And it's manifested in the way he walks holy, separate from the world. He's not holy as long as he lives in this world. He's a sinner. Satan attacks him daily. Satan fills his mind and heart with trash and garbage and attacks him, but the grace of God carries him on. Pass the time of your sojourning here in this dark, sinful world in fear. A reverential fear of God who loves us and forgives us and carries us as long as our body walks in this world. And when the body is laid down, we are with Christ immediately, seeing Him as He is, and there now awaiting the resurrection of the body. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. I used to lay this to the Jewish religion alone. I used to think this was speaking of the silver and the gold that was brought to the altar in the temple. And the Jews' covetousness, Paul said, I profited in the Jews' religion above many of my brethren. And it will apply there quite right. You're not redeemed of the law. You're redeemed of grace. The law, because of our flesh, brought death. Revealed death once grace came. Revealed sin, which is death. But now let me say this right. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Took a glance this morning, Proverbs 8. It says wisdom. And in that text it's speaking of Christ, the wisdom of God, is of far more value than rubies. Nothing in this world costs enough, or let me rephrase that, is worth enough, is able to redeem us. You cannot buy salvation. If you had the money to pay off our national debt, it would not redeem you. What does redeem mean? It means to purchase again. 
that which was already God's and fell in sin would be redeemed. They'd be brought back to God. Atonement at one minute. They were redeemed in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Nothing in the world could redeem us. We have nothing to pay if we could offer up the entirety of the world and every bit of gold and silver and currency on this face. It dare not approach before the throne of God. It cannot redeem us. It is only in Christ. For as much as ye, child of God, know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Lord, let me say this simply. Help me. I'm a sinner. My daddy's a sinner. My granddaddy's a sinner. Both sides. My mama was a sinner. Sinful woman, sinful man come together. What's going to come forth as a child? Sin. I was shapen in iniquity. Conceived in sin and shapen in iniquity. Okay? I had to be redeemed. I had to be bought back. There's Christ's blood. From the vain conversation, this relates to the walk of man. We're not redeemed through anything in the vain, sinful walk, lives, or ways of man which are received by tradition from our fathers from sin to sin to sin and all the world has and all we value and all they thought and all they worshipped as we do by our nature from your fathers. We're not redeemed from that but with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I quote quite often or try to. I don't quote it. I butcher it up. And I'm not going over there because I don't have time. But Micah 5.2 Yet out of thee, Bethlehem, Judea, though thou be little among the thousands, shall he, Christ, Come forth unto me, the Father. He did not offer Himself to us. He offered Himself as a Lamb who is to be ruler in Israel. He is a Lamb before her shearers. Humble, dumb, meaning He opened not His mouth. Innocent, Pure, no committed sin, no inherited sin, and yet his body, back to suffering, became sin for us. You're redeemed by the blood of Christ. There could be no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. My blood would not save me or you. I am a sinner. Christ, holy blood, precious in the sight of the Father. My son has shed his blood. I knew a man back in high school, his son got killed in Vietnam. He had a car that may have had five, 6,000 miles on it. Her 
hurt the man so much he built a garage over the car. Nobody touched it again. That boy was precious to that man. The Son of God is precious to God the Father. His blood is precious. He saved God's people with His blood when He offered Himself to the Father as the Lamb of God. As a Lamb without blemish and without spot. We mentioned that during the communion service. When God said, I will pass over those that had the blood of the Lamb. They put it upon the door lentils and jams of the house. And when God saw the blood, He would pass over them. God passes over us and our nature and our sin because the blood of Christ is upon us. The Lamb had to be the best they had. It had to be without spot. It had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. Christ is the perfect Son of God. His blood is precious to the Father. His blood is precious to us. Who verily, I love this, who verily, truly was foreordained before the foundation of the world. When did that occur? Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. The second person of the Godhead, the living Word of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, has no beginning, has no end, has never learned anything. There's never been a time that He started loving you, for He is eternal, He changes not, and He has always loved you. People want to take away from the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ. I beg to differ. Eternal with the Father. Let us make man in our image. My point with that is he was foreordained. There's never been a time when the covenant between Father and Son was not made and sealed with the Holy Ghost. God in His omniscience knew of sin and the fall of man before He ever created the heaven and the earth and man. And He provided a lamb, a sacrifice in the realm of eternity before sin ever occurred. Why can't people understand that? It's black and white. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. And here comes the preaching of the Gospel. But was manifest in these last times for you. Back to Ephesians 3. The mystery kept secret from the foundation of the world. It's now revealed unto men that God had a people among the Gentiles who were elect from before the foundation of the world and contained in this covenant of grace from every kindred, every tongue, every nation. Jeremiah, I believe too, he even said every family. 
He was verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest through the preaching of the gospel in these last times for you. Who are you? Is a comma. Who by him, Christ, do believe in God. Christ gives you revelation. God writes His law upon your inward heart. He exposes, He reveals Himself to you. And therefore you believe Him. You believe in Him. And the more you worship and the more you try to draw nigh to God, the better that belief becomes and the comfort in it. You who by Him do believe in God that raised Him up from the dead, the man Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, raised from the dead and gave Him glory. Let that sink in. This is a man. The perfect man. The God-man. Flesh and blood from the lineage of David, His Father being God Himself, the Holy Spirit. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. And God has glorified Him. You will stand in a glorified body. There's not a creature that will ever be glorified like the Creator or be as powerful or wise as the Creator. But we shall be glorified. But the point in this text, you believe in God through Christ. I mean, through... Because God raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Where am I going? Acts 15. Acts 15. The Word spoken in Scripture. One more page. What's happening? The Gentiles are being brought into the church. Verse 6 of Acts 15, the elders came together to consider the matter. Let me make my point. I'm almost out of time. Uh, Peter says, And God which knoweth the hearts, bear them, Gentiles, witness, giving them, Gentiles, the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us. Now watch this. And put no difference between us and them, Jew and Gentile, purifying their hearts by faith. Keep that in mind. That your faith and hope might be in God. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Okay, You must be born of God, which means God must give you life in order to have faith or hope. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth, the natural man can not purify his soul. And we just saw in Acts 15 where God purifies our soul through faith. We're born of the Spirit. God gave us that. God has enabled us and caused us to seek after Him, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and do of His good pleasure. It's the work of God. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit, S, capital, third person of the Godhead, 
the one who teaches us today and brings into remembrance unto what? Unfeigned love of the brethren. God is love. Where there is love, there is God. Perfect love. Perfect love. Seeing you have purified yourselves in loving God's people and obeying the truth, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another. Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Loving in the heart that God has given faith, because God purified our hearts by faith. Loving each other in Christ. There's such a feeling here when the few of us are together, I have to slap the smile off my face to lead singing and pray. It is so sweet. The pure love of a heart that God has made pure. Being born again, what did He say over here? He begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Back to John 3. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We're born of the flesh or we would not be here. We're born of the Spirit and that's all the work of God. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, from mankind. John 1, I got a minute, let me read that. John 1. He came into his own, his own received him not. Verse 11, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. Oh, how the world uses that to tell you you've got to make up your mind and receive him and, and believe in him when it's all the work of God. I'm about to prove that. Which were born, not of blood, not the blood of man, nor of the will of flesh, not the choice of man, nor of the will of man, not man's will, not man's work, but those born of God. That comes in regeneration. Being born again, not of corruptible seed of mankind, which will fail and falter and dissolve and be burned up, but of incorruptible. By the Word of God. That's why Peter said you've got an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We've already taught that. We'll move back to the text. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, that is Christ, the living Word, which liveth and abideth forever. Words are strong things. I can say words that hurt people and I don't like to do that. But as far as the word of a man, it comes forth from his mouth, it comes forth from his heart, it goes out. At one point or another, it's going to go away. Nobody will remember it. Nobody will care about it. When the world ends, everything's dissolved. As far as we're speaking here in the world, 
But this Word, which is the living Word, liveth and abideth forever. You can find this in Isaiah 40. For all flesh is as grass. What color is the grass right now? It was green two months ago. Now it's brown because it dies. And all the glory of man as the flower of grass. And I want you to notice the grass in the spring and summer because the grass will be green and living and the flowers will appear for a while and be gone. What is that teaching us according to Scripture? That the living man is in this world. Our glory, glory may appear for a moment, but it's not always there. Pharaoh's glory was taken away greatly while he lived. Flesh is his grass. The glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth. The flower thereof fadeth away. But the Word of the Lord endureth forever. Now, I'm going to give you this in two ways and both apply. The declared Word of God endureth forever. Let me give you something very quickly. I've still got four minutes. Galatians chapter 3. making a point with this. Verse 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now here's Abraham, and God is revealing the Scripture, is revealing to him this text. Moses has not yet been born. Therefore the books of the law have not yet been written. But yet the Scripture, didn't say a preacher or a prophet, the Scripture preached before the Gospel unto Abraham. Let's take another one, same chapter, verse 22. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. My point in that is the Scripture. And the Word of God. Let me put this together if God will bless me. Christ is the living Word of God from everlasting to everlasting. God said, I declared the end from the beginning. That is the spoken Word of God, which is the living Word of God. But yet it is also the Gospel which we preach. That's a mystery in a sense. But you know this, you know this, as God is eternal and has always been His declaration, His covenant, what we preach to you today has always been. It will never go away. It will never be destroyed. Lord willing, we'll start chapter 2 next week.